Welcome everyone to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Witcher, and today I have with me two master IP coaches, Amy and Shelly, and we're going to help you figure out what to do next in the IEP process. Whether you are a parent, a teacher, admin, therapist, you can take just some really simple, easy next steps that can make a huge difference as we leave 2020 behind and launch into 2021. So Amy and Shelly, thank you for being here today. Thank, thank you. you for having me. All right. So we're going to start with Amy. And um, will you first tell us, Amy, how did you end up at an IEP table? I first went to an IEP table as an instructional assistant, as a one-on-one, -on -one, and then eventually as a parent for a child who has a medical disability. So I've seen um, the educational perspective and the parent perspective of the IEP process. Yeah, and that's important to really um, know the other sides of the table. You know, regardless, if you just have one perspective, leaning in and learning other sides is is really important. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm a parent, I have no idea what it's like to, you know, be on the other side of the table, have a conversation, reach out and talk. It can make a huge difference to figure out what's going on on that other side. So with that, um, Amy, share with us what people can do right now um, as we start to wrap up this year to transition into the next year? Well, I think that we're all stuck at home. We've all come to the realization exactly where our children's life skills are at, where we want them to go. Make sure that you're documenting the process that's happening at home, opening their own snack bags, all that stuff needs to make sure that it transitions into the school, which is also part of the real world setting. So making sure that we notice that they're sorting the knives and forks and spoons, they're working with us independently and having that transfer into the classroom for 2021. Absolutely. So it's really important that we take data. That's real data in special education of sorting forks and spoons and knives. That's real data of opening up your snack bag. This is not stuff that you're just doing to get through the day when it comes to translating that into IEP stuff. So we want to make sure that everybody's documenting what's happening and then we can put that into their school day. So Amy, when you were a, a paraprofessional and, and working, just share, um, did you guys take data on those things? Were you helping kids with that? Was it in the IEPs? Like what did that role look like? Um, I think that sometimes as a paraprofessional, we become the extra arms and legs, kind of like a parent. And um, it takes a lot for a paraprofessional to step back and realize, no, they can open the straw, get it started, put it in the box and making sure that they are um, using their abilities to their peers levels. You know, we don't need to be there sharpening the pencil, erasing for them, um, have, throwing their trash away. Those are skills that need to be honed and processed now so that in the future, they're able to do those things. I love that. In fact, you know, I would have something like that written into the IEP in that training section to make sure that a paraprofessional knows what they're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, it's not about what they're not supposed to do, but it's another layer of what you're supposed to do in stepping back and building that independence. You're not there just to push them through. You're there to help them become independent. Right. And nine out of 10 times, paraprofessionals and teachers are mothers. And all we want to do is mother and care provide. But at some point, we need to draw the line and make sure that they're becoming independent in their, you know, skills. Absolutely. Oh, I love that so much. All right. So, Shelly. Tell us, how did you end up at an IEP table? 
I started out as a teacher. Well, actually, to be honest, I actually started out as a paraprofessional um, in the very first parts of my education career and then um, decided, yep, definitely want to do this whole teacher thing and then became a special education teacher and sat at hundreds of IEP meetings over the course of my career and thought, it's, uh, I want to do something else. I want to do something a little bit different. And about four years ago, I shifted and started my own business. And then I found you and the rest is history, as they say. It's been marvelous. So I have that. I have a paraprofessional experience, a teacher experience, and now as a coach. Absolutely. So you, again, you see a lot of different sides of the table. And for all of our listeners, it's so important for you guys to know, um, again, just the dynamics that are happening to know that the tips that we're giving you are not just one-sided. That happens a lot in special education where things become one-sided. And we're, these are things that anybody can do on the IEP team to help move a child forward. So Shelly, what do you have for us today? Well, in all the craziness that is our school system right now, it is very difficult for all of us to remember what accommodations are written into each individual student's IEP. And my recommendation is, especially for older kids, your upper elementary, middle school, high school, help them with self-advocacy skills of having their accommodations printed out or written out on a small piece of paper or an index card, and then teach them how to gently and kindly go to their teachers and say, I was supposed to have extra time to do this assignment or take this quiz. I don't feel like I got that. Can I have the extra time that I'm allotted? That does two things. It really does help the teacher because, like I said, it's so crazy right now, and teachers are having such a hard time just remembering to breathe, to be perfectly honest, in a lot of teaching cases. Um, and so again, remembering all those individual accommodations. But the other thing it does is it helps us collect data on, is this really an accommodation that the student uses or wants to use or needs? And then when we come back to the IEP table for the annual review, we can say, you know what, we really didn't need this. Or yeah, we really did need this. We need to make sure that this is there. And if you're doing teaching at home, if there are other things that you are doing, um, as Amy mentioned, document that so that you can bring that to the IEP team and say, these are other accommodations that we did and we would like these included in the IEP next time. Absolutely. So I think it's so important that you wrapped two concepts into one when it comes to accommodations and taking data on that. So often we make a big list of accommodations and modifications in the back of the IEP. Sometimes it's called accommodations modifications. Sometimes it just says student supports. So there's a lot of different areas that these different um, things can be put. Anything from extra time to you know technology, all different things can be put in there. But we have to take data on if they're working or not. Otherwise, we end up with three pages of accommodations and modifications and none of them are getting done because we're, we're not tracking what is most important for students. So I love that so much. Um, all right. So I'm going to hit you guys with a question that we didn't we don't you know, talk a whole lot before these. We love to just have a conversation about all things IEPs. So, Amy, I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite part of the IEP as a mom? that you're like, okay, this I know makes a difference for my daughter. I need to um, you know, make sure that it's all done right. 
I'm going to say the parent input statement. I think that that's very, a very strong place for me to put what our hopes and dreams were for her and where we saw her going and progressing um, and making sure that everyone knew how we felt about it um, and being open with them and accepting criticism and realizing um, that at some points our dreams may have been too high, but to shoot for the stars because you as, you as the parents are the string. So you need to make sure that you have that safety net when they miss the star. And um, yeah, I would say the parent input statement. It's where you can put down exactly what you want and how you feel and um, what progression you'd like to see your child take. Absolutely. So anybody who's like, what is this parent input statement or <laughs> you know place that, that she's talking about? Every IEP and every state, okay? This is not a state specific thing. This is under federal guidelines. And none of us are lawyers. We've just been doing this a really long time. So we're telling you where to look. We're telling you where all the good stuff is at. Okay. So parent input statements, sometimes it's called parent educational concerns. It's often used as a dumping grounds for complaints, or it's an ignored section of the IEP. When you learn how to use this section to really set that vision, that hope, that um, you know, th those dreams that you're working towards, then you can work as a team and, and reach those long-term goals while, you know, working on those short-term milestones. So if anybody has questions about that, I'm going to encourage you to go visit specialedinnercircle.com. That's where we continue the conversation. We're just touching the surface level here with you today. You can dig in and get help from myself and master IEP coaches inside of the inner circle. So just head over. There's a link here, wherever you're listening or watching to that um, head over to the special ed inner circle. So, all right, now, Shelly, tell me as a teacher, when you got an IEP um, put onto your desk, see, Shelly and I taught and about the same, you know, generation and decades and that. So I know that those IEPs ended up piled up on your desk. What was the first section that you went to? Like you got the student, you're like, okay, this is their name. And you glance over the first page. Like, what did you want to dig into? The present levels of performance, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. If they were accurate, if they were recent, um, that gave me a great starting place of what materials to get, um, because I don't know how many of you know this, but special education teachers often have to find our own materials. And we, the gen ed might share with us, but if you think about it, the reason that most of our students are coming to us is because the gen ed curriculum isn't necessarily working in the same way that it <clears throat> is working for other students. So we would have to get modified curriculum or modified materials. And so that was the first place I looked. And that also gave me, I'm thinking of one student in particular that I saw um, and my administrator literally said, do you think this is a student that we can support or are we going to need to send this student to a residential placement? I said, I think we can support this student. I would at least like to try before we send, and we that student was able to stay in our district and we were able to support that student. Um, so yeah, I would say the, the present levels of performance definitely was where I would look first. I love that. And I love kind of that hidden fact that you just told everybody about, um, yeah, we don't have like a standard box of supplies in special education. I think that was one of the biggest shock factors. You know, I'm a, a former special education teacher myself and um, my brother has Down syndrome. So I, I grew up kind of seeing special education from one side. And then when I, you know, get my job and I walk into the classroom, 
and it's empty. <laughs> and yep. I'm thinking, what, 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 like, where's the books? Like, where's the stuff? How much time I spent, you know, going up and down the halls, like begging for materials or trying to find that hidden supply closet that only certain people know about in the school that has like all the good stuff. So Amy, mm -hmm. did you have to go on the hunt for things as a paraprofessional? Oh, yes. You mean there wasn't a Mary Poppins bag there waiting for you? <laughs> no, I was like, what do you mean? Like, here's a stack of IEPs in a milk crate. And, you know, you look at the parent input statement, you're like, okay, like parents are involved in this one, love this, you know, this one, I don't really know what the parents want. You know, I, I got to work a little harder to figure out what's going on, um, you know, home and family and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you look at the present, present levels of performance and then you look around your room and you're like, hmm, be nice to have some construction paper. <laughs> so, so yeah, so there, um, <laughs> that's going to be my, my tip right now. Um, a lot of times we do this and, and I'm like, Oh, I forgot to give a tip. Cause I get so into your guys's, but here's the thing. It, teachers, you need to advocate for yourselves when you see IEP goals that need specific tools. That is an obligation of the district to provide the tools that are needed inside of that IEP. Now, if you're like, oh, you have this wish list and you would hope that maybe you could have this fantastic new upgraded something, okay? I'm not talking about the wish list stuff. I'm talking about if it is written inside of the IEP that a certain tool, manipulative support technology is supposed to be used, you are obligated as a teacher to be using that to reach that goal. You need to go advocate for yourself and for your students to do that. Parents, one of the best things you can do is say to the teacher, I know there's a lot of IEP goals, a lot of things, and maybe, you know, maybe you're new in the classroom, right? Together, teacher and students say, what else do you need? And a lot of times I'm not telling parents to go spend their own money. I'm saying parents can help advocate for this too. Parents, right. you need to know that if your child's supposed to have a specific piece of technology and it's not, don't ever assume it's there. Don't assume that a program that they used last year is there this year. Don't assume. So um, I, I absolutely want you guys to um, come continue this conversation inside of the special education inner circle. And if you're thinking, what is this master IEP coach thing? And how did Amy and Shelly become master IEP coaches and move into this role in special education? Please go visit masteriepcoach.com. Our next session will be starting soon. I hope to work with you guys there. Amy and Shelly, thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right, everyone, until next time, we'll uh, chat again real soon about the next set of hot topics of how to leave 2020 strong, move into 2021, and uh, I'll see you in the inner circle. Bye.